Hi, folks. It's Voss here from TheResistanceRadio.com. Viva la resistance. Hey, guys. Uh, welcome to the podcast. We're doing another show. We're interviewing all the great politicians across the nation of people that are running for office in November 2020. They're going to hopefully guide us through these uh, interesting times that we're going to live in uh, with COVID-19 and everything else that's going on in our communities. You can also see this on our other shows, the ChrisVossShow.com and uh, Chris Voss Podcast. You can see all nine podcasts that we have at thecvpn.com or ChrisVossPodcastNetwork.com. You can go to YouTube.com forward slash Chris Voss. If you're listening to the audio version of this and watch the video on YouTube. So we've got an interesting gentleman who's running for office here in the state of Utah. He's uh, Greg Scordis. He's the Democratic candidate for attorney general for the state of Utah. Wow, we've had the governor on, uh, gubernatorial candidate, and we've had the uh, lieutenant governor on. We're getting the whole party here going. Uh, He's lived in Utah all his life. He studied and received degrees in both engineering and law at the University of Utah. He's raised three highly successful children, an Air Force medical doctor, an educator, and an environmental scientist. He also has five grandchildren. In addition to being a lawyer, he's worked for the past 35 years at the National Ski Patrol at resorts in Summit and Weaver Counties, and he skis uh, 25 to 30 days a year. He's an avid cyclist, and he's ridden road and mountain bikes in virtually every part of the state. He also has two motorcycles. I had the privilege to ride with my wife, Rebecca, through the state. I'm sorry, his wife, I'm reading his bio, through the state and through all of the national parks. They live in Eden, just east of Ogden in Weber County, and they have a small home in Torrey adjacent to Fish Lake National Forest near the Capitol Reef National Monument in Wayne County. Welcome to the show, Greg. It's wonderful to have you. Thanks, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here, and I, and I thank you very much for having me. Awesome sauce. You know, I'm reading your bio here and, and you really love the state, the beauty of it, the environment and all that good stuff, huh? Yeah, I've lived here for 60 years, 60 plus years. And uh, my practice has been great because it's allowed me to practice in every county in the state. I kind of got to know the roads. I got to know all the shortcuts. I got to know uh, the cycling routes in every county because sometimes when I'm down there in, in a certain county like Iron County, I know uh, where I can uh, take my bicycle or in in the Wayne County, uh, where I can ride my bike up in the hills. Um, and, and it's just kind of fun. Uh, and, and, and just getting to know the people in these various counties has really been interesting. Just doing a, doing a jury trial down at the Four Corners area or up in uh, Logan and meeting the people who are, you, you wouldn't see them. You would, you would never have a chance to visit with those people in your lifetime. But it's been, I really love traveling around this state. I mean, I love this state. And it's beautiful. There's a lot of historic buildings and different things you find. So give us your www, your website, so people can check you out and uh, maybe uh, either send you some donations or uh, help volunteer on the on the uh, website you have. Yeah, so donations are great, but we're at the www.scordas, and that's S-K-O-R-D-A-S-4, F-O-R-A-G.com. So it's scordas com. All right, so Greg, so uh, give us a, like an origin, uh, an origin story, if you will, uh, like a background, like uh, how you grew up, uh, kind of what got you here as a person. So you you actually did a pretty good job, Chris, but uh, I'll I'll elaborate a little bit. Um, I told your life well, story. This is your life, right, Greg. <laughs> native Utah, lived here my whole life, um, raised in the sort of Murray Holiday area of Salt Lake County. Um, live now in Weber County, as you indicated. Um, went to to uh, college to become an engineer. I was one of those kids that carried a slide ruler uh, through high school and a pocket calculator that was as big as my laptop uh, through college. Um, got to be an engineer and uh, was a metallurgist, which a lot of people don't mm-hmm. know, but it's sort of study metals and how to make metals out of dirt and how to make certain kind of metals out of other kinds of metals. And I, and I went to law school to become a mining and patent lawyer, um, then started working in, in the criminal justice world, uh, working with some prosecutors and defense attorneys, probation officers, fell in love with it, realized that it was the sort of the low end of the pay scale as lawyers go, but absolutely fell in love with the, the criminal world, uh, worked uh, at the first when I started practicing law at a very small law firm joined the Salt Lake Legal Defenders Association, which, of course, you know, represents indigents and people that can't afford a lawyer on misdemeanor and felony levels. I went to the Salt Lake District Attorney's Office in 94, 
started there in misdemeanors, uh, went into the felony unit, went into the major felony unit. I was actually, Chris, in 1992, Utah's first gang prosecutor. We hadn't we hadn't considered gangs an issue in Utah until then, but we certainly did then. We formed the Salt Lake Area Gang Project. It's now called the, the Utah Gang Project, um, and and enjoyed that. I became the chief of the Special Victims Unit, which is sex crimes, crimes against children, uh, during my later years at the District Attorney's Office, and then became the Chief Deputy Salt Lake County Attorney. Um, left that office in 1995 and started my own practice. So I've kind of come full circle. I have my own law firm now. My practice is a lot of criminal uh, defense work. I represent several police uh, unions, uh, two of the largest police unions in the state. Um, I represent a a lot of attorneys when they have disciplinary issues before our state bar, uh, some judges when they have those issues, and have just thoroughly enjoyed my practice. Uh, As you indicated, sort of my, my side life, if you will. I joined the Park City Ski Patrol 35 years ago, worked there, and five years ago switched up to the Powder Mountain Ski Patrol. It's just a diversion. It's just something, as you probably know, when you're working and you know putting in 50, 60 hours a week, you get away, and I go do ski patrol on the weekends, and it's, it's been thoroughly great. I mean, you deal with people who get hurt, and yeah. And people who are injured, and it's it's sort of such a different thing than what I do all week, but it's it's refreshing. Um, and then in the summer, I I ride bicycles, road and mountain bikes, usually with my kids. I've done a little bit of competitive racing, but I've learned that I'm not a competitive cyclist. So I kept thinking as I got older and older, and started racing the older people, that my my scores would be better, my place would be better. But I still remain in the bottom half of my race category. So. But that's, a hell of a, that's a hell of a sport. I mean, that really yeah. is. That's, yeah. a, that's a hell of a sport. Um, well, us little, us little wimpy guys had to find something to do because, <laughs> I mean, in high school I wrestled, and I wrestled at, yeah. at 119 pounds. So I wasn't exactly a – they weren't recruiting me for the football team anywhere or the basketball team. Um, and so cycling was sort of a natural thing to me, running and cycling after I got out of high school and college. Well, I think it's great that you you really take part in an appreciation of the state. It's a beautiful state. I mean, everywhere I've gone in the world, uh, anytime I mention Utah, people are just like, oh, that's beautiful. And the parks, the canyonlands and everything else. Um, you know, right now, Donald Trump wants to put oil rigs up behind the, you know, I, I envision this national arch, you know, the beautiful arches, and then there's an oil rig behind it. That's my vision that I think of. So um, so you you've done all this work. And uh, what made you want to flip the switch and become a uh, run for attorney general in the state? You know, it was something that happened a couple of months ago. And by the way, I, I have, haven't really had polit- political aspirations. It wasn't something I wanted to do. In fact, I promised my wife that I wouldn't run for political office. So I had to sort of renegotiate that uh, premarital agreement with her. And it was the only premarital agreement I had. Serious? Wow. Yeah. Right. So we talked and, uh, but and our current attorney general, Sean Reyes is somebody I've known for years. I supported his uh, candidacy when I saw that he really had a unfair go against uh, John Swallow eight years ago, told him he was treated poorly and he should run, but he's done the same thing that his two predecessors, uh, Mark Shirtliff and John Swallow did. Mm-hmm. And that is that he tends to take, and actually he's done it at a much larger level, campaign contributions, huge campaign contributions from people who he should be investigating. And he takes those contributions for the sole and only purpose of not investigating them. And I thought, wow. how, can he, how can we continue to do that in Utah for 20 years? If you yeah. look at the campaign contributions of of Mr. Reyes, it will make you sick. And I saw that and I thought, I can either complain, I can either continue to say, RIG's office is a joke, it's for sale, it's got a big for sale sign around it, or I can run. And I had a lot of lawyers and some judges and some politicians who said, this might be a year where a Democrat can do well in Utah. And the more we're moving forward in this campaign, the more I'm learning that this could be a year. You know, uh, Chris, we haven't had a statewide elected Democrat in Utah 
this century. Yeah. We haven't had one. It's crazy. The last one was, I think, elected in 1996. So we're sort of going into an area that's, that's going to be difficult. Uh, we certainly had some, a couple of congressional representatives who were, who were Democrats, but we haven't had a statewide elected Democrat in over 20 years. So I know it's an uphill battle. And I know my, my opponent had a $350,000 head start on me in February, but we're clawing back. Uh, we're, we're in it to win it. We're working six, eight hours a day, in addition to still trying to practice law. And the more I'm learning and the more I'm traveling around this state, and I mean the entire state, the more I'm feeling like uh, it's time for a change. And it's time that we have a little bit of balance in this state because we have a super majority of Republicans and Democrats just can't get anything done. And, and whether you're Republican or Democrat, that's not right. I mean, you have to have some level of balance. And I think I bring that to the table. And that's awesome. Checks and balances. That's what the Constitution was about. That's what America's about. Absolutely. Um, you know, who watches the watchers or basically sort of thing. Um, it's interesting you bring that up. We saw the same. We, I think here in Utah County, they've had an attorney with the same sort of conflict uh, where they're taking money for from donations and people they should be looking at. I, I, I'm not sure exactly the details on it, but I know that Kelly Loeffler, who is the uh, I think she's the senator for Arkansas or Georgia. Uh, did that where uh, they gave a million dollars to to uh, the Trump campaign and William Barr is letting them off the hook for that yeah. uh, that stock sale, but they're going right. after the other guy who's right. written bad reports on him. So you know right. this is this is a thing where where you know people need to be uh, aware of what's going on in their in their in their uh, governments now more than ever because I think more and more are realizing that we've got to start paying attention. And you're right. I think this is a, a year for change. Uh, we saw just huge upheaval in the vote blue blue wave in 2018. We saw a lot of people going into office that normally don't go into office that are bringing that fresh perspective. And, you know, we see these career politicians that, you know, they can get away with all sorts of stuff because they know all the tricks and trades and, and they, they've been in there long enough. They figure no one's looking or no one cares. And I think this is going to be a big big election and i know i think it was the uh, governor the utah governor there hasn't been a democratic utah governor for at least 40 years right and it's like and and everyone i've talked to on the democrat side i'm the guy who's like let's go blue on utah and everyone's like you know what purple's good chris we just want some balance (laughs) you know we want to be able to have some checks and balances and i'm like okay that's fair and i've been amazed everyone i've talked to i think so far we've done about i think 10 interviews and we've got about i don't know 40 or some on that are scheduled with uh, the democratic party um and everybody is fairly new at the politics they really want good things for their their um for their communities and they're bringing a lot of approach uh ethical approach to it and they just want good stuff and they're not they're not trying to, they're not these people who are in it for their 1% buddies going, Hey, how can we cut and dice the state and you know, save right. a bunch of money? You know, right. they're, they're really concerned about their communities. Um, I know there's uh, some things that you have that are highlighted as priorities on your website. <clears throat> so if you don't, if you don't mind, we can kind of talk about some of them. Uh, right to privacy is one of them. Affordable health care, women's rights, uh, reforming the AG's office. Um, do you want to speak to any of those about what you, what you think and what you hope to achieve while you're in office? Yeah, let me, let me just dial back a little bit and, and weave those in because you're talking about the, the red and blue and purple. In, in 2018, Utah voters uh, voted, a majority of Utah voters voted for three proposition, or, uh, ballot propositions, ballot initiatives. Proposition two, three, and four. And the reason Utah voters considered those, and these are some of the things you just talked about, is because our Republican majority, our Republican governor, our Republican attorney general wouldn't support these initiatives. And, and whether you agree with them or not, let me, just, let me just walk you through these just for a minute, Chris. Mm-hmm. Prop two was dealt with medical cannabis. Now, I thought, and I've always told everyone I know, Utah will be the last state in the country to ever legalize marijuana. And I think recreationally, I still believe that. But we have long in this country recognized that there are at least some medical benefits to THC. 
And our legislature was like, no, we're not going to do that. In a million years, we're not going to do that. And so we took it to the ballot. The voters actually passed that initiative. The will said, of the voters. Right. Legislators, here's what you need to do. You know, that, that's, that's, a, that's a democratic issue. And, if, and it was the majority of Utahns that passed that. And those are Utahns. I don't know that the majority of Utahns use THC recreationally, and they certainly shouldn't because it's not legal. But at least they passed an initiative to make it available for people who are struggling with various conditions, including epilepsy, that this is a treatment for. Now, our legislature has been horrible, and our attorney general has been worse about enacting that voter initiative, which is now two years old. But that's just one example. Example two is something you just talked about, which is healthcare. Uh, Utahns enacted Prop 3 that same year, two years ago. Prop 3 is expands Medicare for all Utahns, and it provides an additional level of, of medical coverage, medical insurance, if you will, for 102,000 Utahns. Now, let me tell you what our legislature's done about that, which is zero. They've done nothing about it. Um, let me tell you what our attorney general's done. He's done worse than that. He has joined a lawsuit against the uh, Affordable Care Act to ask the Supreme Court of the United States to have that act declared unconstitutional as an unconstitutional taxation, which if that lawsuit prevails, Chris, we have no Affordable Care Act at all. And and whether you agree with it or not, whether you're far right or far left or or in the middle, and and I'm I'm not trying to be Bernie Sanders here and say we need to socialize all medicine, but I do think this pandemic has given us every reason to, to know that we're an under, underinsured country and we're an underinsured state. And so let's, let's reform the Affordable Care Act and, and let's, let's make it the, whatever we want to call it, the Republican Act, if that's what they need, but let's expand <laughs> medical attention. And, and our attorney generals filed a lawsuit to do away with it. And then the third one, and then I'll shut up. It was Proposition 4, which was the redistricting. If, if you ever get a chance, Chris, you should look at the way this state is gerrymandered. And you, I had a, a woman call me who's running for a, a congressional or a, excuse me, a state Senate position. And she's got some part of Summit County, um, some part in Weber County, and some part in Morgan County. Now, there's no reason to have this sort of weird L-shaped district except to make sure that it has at least 50% Republican attendees. So we voted, the Utahns did, a majority of Utahns to form a redistricting commission and look at this gerrymandering gerrymandering practice. And I will just tell you this, two years later, not one district in Utah has been changed by one household. So the voters speak, we have a complete vetting of the issues. Both sides put their money on the table. The voters pass these and we still have nothing done. So I think an attorney general being the attorney for the people can go to the legislature and say, Hey folks, the people have spoken and this is the law of the land. And we need to write up something that will enforce the law of the land instead of doing what our AG does, which is uh, ignore it. Uh, Or in the case of the, the medical uh, health care file a lawsuit to do away with it. So, you know, those, those are, that's frustrating for me. It's just so frustrating, but it also shows that the Utahns aren't as far right as our representatives believe they are. Yeah. I found that was extraordinary. I have family here in Utah and I, you know, I live in Vegas, but, and so I, you know, I, I keep my finger on the pulse and I, I study politics. Um, and it was extraordinary to me. I'm like, wait, the voters voted for that. That was the will of the voters. Like, you know, the, the this, is what, this is what the constitution was about. This is what everything was about. And you're just like, it's like, holy crap. You're just, you're just gonna, you're just gonna be like, nah, nah, we know better. We're, we're your, we're your adults and we're not going to do that. Um, speaking to a few of those things, the, the, um, it's amazing to me how many people in the GOP, and I'm not GOP bashing, keep this in mind, but it's amazing to me how many people don't know about this lawsuit that's going on. I think it uh, originated out of Texas, and it has all the major GOP attorney generals out, out across the nation. They are fighting to destroy and overturn um, 
Obamacare with the Trump administration. Um, even worse, they've doubled down on it with the pandemic where they're just like, yeah, we're still going after it. And what's, what's very scary about this pandemic is not only do we have people that don't have health care or they have troubled health care, you know, they don't have a good plan or whatever, or they can't afford these costs they're going through, but the people that are losing their jobs and going unemployed, they can't afford their health care payments once their COBRA gets up or whatever, or maybe they didn't have them or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, and so we're going to have all these people that are uninsured, all these families that are insured. Uh, it's always blown my mind because Utah has one more child in its state uh, per capita family than other uh, states. You know, we, you guys have four kids usually in most of the states around the nation have three. And you're like, why isn't education and child care like number one here? Because you have number more one. kids. Right. right. And so that really blew my mind. Uh, and then I mean, just we're going to a pandemic. This thing's going to be worse. We just saw like three or four days of a huge jump, almost a doubling jump of uh, COVID-19 coming back. We know we're going to have probably more waves of this thing. And so that's why I've implored a lot of Utahns through this podcast we, series we've been doing with Utah Democrats is to really get to know your things, uh, your your candidates, and also really try and make wise choices going forward because these are the folks we're going to be turning to. All politics are local. Um, one thing I want to plug on the... Let just, go ahead. Let me just jump on that for just a second, Chris. My my office is over here on downtown Salt Lake, and I'm a couple blocks away from the bankruptcy court. And you make an incredibly good point. If you walk into a bankruptcy court in America, you'll find that one of the number one debtors, one of the one number one issues that debtors have is health care. Mm-hmm. Is they can't afford, they've had something catastrophic happen in their life. And suddenly they have, hundred thousand, fifty thousand, maybe ten or twenty thousand dollars in medical bills that they can't meet because they're either uninsured or underinsured. And so what do they do? They file bankruptcy. Now that's not where our bankruptcy courts were ever designed to be. But I think if anybody did the checking, you'd find that that's the number one issue in our bankruptcy courts. And that's something that wow. makes no sense at all for, for any reason. Um, so yeah, you're right. I mean, affordable health care for everyone. I mean, we certainly provide it here for our employees at our office and I always have, but it's, it's important and we need to find a way to make it more available, not less available, which is what our attorney general is doing. Most definitely. The, um, the other thing you spoke to the redistricting, that's something that needs to happen. I just had uh, one of the gentlemen from the, uh, I believe he's, he's doing district, I think 42. And it's like, he's, he's got West, He's got West West Jordan and West South Jordan, and I was like, "What the hell?" Right, <laughs> that's his district. And I'm like, I gave him, I gave him a good joking. I said, I said, so there's an East and West West Jordan, you know, like it's like the Bloods and the Crips. Makes or no sense at all. <laughs> it's just, but you know, I mean, he's 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 going to be a great candidate, um, Sam Wrinkler. Um, <clears throat> so that needs to be happening, you know. I don't care what side you're on. We got to get away from this teams thing. Uh, healthcare wise, we've got to realize, I th- and and hopefully we come out and realizing that that we have to take care of our neighbors, and you know we we can't just you know we got to be worried about their health with our health because we've learned through COVID nineteen that it all kind of affects all of us. Um, on the marijuana uh, aspect, I just want to make one comment, if I could, to, to Utahns who are listening. I for years when I would meet people who were into marijuana or pot, you know, they'd be like, it's really good for you, Chris. And I'd be like, yeah, that's okay. You, you go with that. That's your thing. Um, and, uh, you know, I drink vodka all my life, you know, legal booze. <laughs> uh, I don't know why I made that point that it's legal. I mean, did, is there an implication that I might, do I look like a guy who drinks something? Still in my backyard. Anyway, my, my, my lineage is from West Virginia. So maybe that's where that comes from. Right. Uh, <laughs> but, um, and so I just, I was just like, yeah, whatever. And I would hear vets. I would hear people that were disabled. I would hear people that have cancer say that uh, marijuana helped them with pain and everything else. And I just kind of be right. like, I don't know. I'm not going to judge you because you're, you're on a, you're having a hard row in life. Um, and then they legalized, um, <clears throat> marijuana in, in, uh, Las Vegas. And my liver finally said, you're not drinking anymore. We're just not doing that. No, no. And, uh, so I tested marijuana and started using it. Um, and it is amazing for pain. And part of it, I'm 52. I'm old now. 
Uh, it is amazing for pain, for muscle aches. And I literally, and, and I don't use it all, often. I, I used it when, when I was in pain and stuff and, and had issues, uh, you know, back problems, knee problems that I've had. And one of the things that uh, happened to me is I noticed after like six months, I'm like, I, I haven't touched the acetaminophus, you know, the Tylenol bottle, which that, that stuff will eat your kidneys for sure. Um, and it really, like, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is for like almost my life, I was like, yeah, sure. That works on pain. It really freaking does. I mean, it really does. Um, so that's my plug for that for you. You know, you know, several years ago, I, because I represent people who are accused of crimes and of course, marijuana is still illegal if you use it recreationally and it's been illegal forever. But I asked my clients, you know, why do you use it? What, what do you get out of it? And unlike other drugs, which you could imagine, you know, heroin or, or meth or those kind of things, um, those people are, those people have huge problems. But a lot of the people that I talked to that used marijuana, they, they're exactly like you said, they would tell me, well, Greg, it's the only way I can sleep through the night. Helps you sleep it's the like a only baby. way I can make my back stop hurting mm-hmm. or uh, young people who have sort of like seizure disorders, you know, their parents would come and say, you know, we're having to drive elsewhere or go to some underground house in the neighborhood and buy THC for our kid because uh, we're afraid that this, uh, you know, 12 year old kid is, is having seizures. And I, I didn't find a lot of people that said, well, I just enjoy getting stoned and I just enjoy yeah. the buzz. I mean, that certainly that exists. And, and you know what? We should always, always, always have a law in Utah that says you can't operate a vehicle while you're under the Oh, vehicle. definitely. Drugs or alcohol, legal yeah. or not. And, and marijuana should always be included in that. Yeah. Um, if, if you're impaired, you're impaired. But you can be impaired on prescription opioids as easy as you can from THC or you can get impaired on vodka and you don't have to answer this, but you probably have felt that once or twice and, 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 and it's okay. You just don't get in a car exactly. and, and we can always enforce those laws. And I support, I mean, I represent highway patrol, so I absolutely support them keeping motorists off the road. No, Lord knows riding bicycles and motorcycles. You get to see the worst of drivers because you're yeah. always looking over your rear view mirror. Uh, but, um, you know, the, the whole idea of, of impairment is one thing, but it's another thing uh, to think of the medicinal use of some substances that we've been afraid of, and THC is one of them. And so I'm, I'm glad we've taken some baby steps in that area. Yeah. I mean, our legislature's made it as painful as they can for people to get <laughs> marijuana. But, you know, that that's going to change, and it's going to continue to change, and maybe someday – uh, people won't be driving to Colorado so that their 12 year old can sleep through the night through his seizures. And yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, we're having that kind of, a it's really helpful. And I, yeah. I come from a state where we have ad, an addiction problem in Las Vegas. A lot of people come to Las Vegas because every, we have everything like gambling, everything. And so I've been very familiar with people that have addiction problems. And I think, I don't know, seven percent or ten percent of the population has has true addiction sort of problems and i was worried about it because i was like i really don't want to get addicted to something so i don't want to become one of those guys and um and and unless you have an addictive personality um it's it's just fine and i don't i i haven't used it much um often except for pain i mean pain is just the only thing that that uh, it kicks in and I, you know, sciatic nerve back pain and it's amazing. And you sit and you look at your Tylenol bottle going, ah, now I realize why you want this illegal. <laughs> right. But uh, it's pretty interesting. So let me tell on. you about a trip I, I made to Las Vegas uh, in 1995, if that's all right, Chris, hmm? um, our Utah state bar association uh, contacted me in 95 and it was right after I left the DA's office. And they said, Greg, you're not doing anything right now. How about attending a conference in Vegas and be the representative of the state of Utah and go down there and check this out? And we went down. There were three of us from Utah. And we went to Vegas and we attended what was then called the National Association of Drug Court Professionals. And I went to a drug court in Las Vegas. And we'd never even heard of the concept. 
And it was just, it was something beautiful. It was something yeah. I hadn't considered. And we brought that concept back to Utah and we started our first drug court in 1996. And drug court for your listeners is set up for people who have addiction, no matter what the drug is, but who want to get off of that. It's a specialty court and it's sort of a, it's sort of a new wave in what we're doing right now. But it, it, it allows people to come into the court and say, look, I'm not going to fight my charges. I'm guilty. I'm going to plead guilty. I'm guilty of whatever you want, but I want you to hold this plea judge over my head for a year or two or three or whatever it takes for me to get off drugs. And if I can do that and I can show a sustained period of sobriety, a sustained period of being clean and being randomly tested as often as you want, judge. And if I test dirty, I will start my year over. And But if I can do that, you're going to allow me to have my charges all dismissed. And um, that has been an incredibly successful program. And it's now been in Utah for 24 years. And, and 20 years ago, I started a nonprofit at the request of the Utah judges to run sort of an aftercare for these drug court individuals. Because we learned that people graduate from drug court, they'd be all rah, rah, this was great. We're all backing each other up. And then they'd kind of go back into their prior lifestyle, which was a problem. And, and we didn't want that group to uh, re-enter that community and re-enter the drug use. So we have an aftercare program that we run. Uh, to, it's called Friends of Drug Court. And it's been hugely successful also. Um, but those kind of specialty courts are things that really – I, again, it was another kind of a thing that the, the the Republicans were like, what are we doing? You know, drugs are bad. We need to make sure we make harsher laws, not softer laws. But the softer laws worked. And in fact, our Republican legislature uh, about four or five years ago, we're never going to decriminalize drugs, but they they backed off some of the drugs that had been previously a felony to possess. Cocaine was a felony. Meth was a felony. Yeah. Uh, marijuana has always been a misdemeanor, but now those, those drugs, the simple possession, just the possess the drugs uh, has been dropped down to the most serious misdemeanor, but it's no longer a felony. And I think we're recognizing that drug abuse and addiction, like you, like you mentioned, is not necessarily a criminal problem, although it, it has to be treated criminally, but it's a social problem. And if we deal with it that way, we're more likely to not see those individuals back in the criminal justice system. Now, dealers and people who manufacture drugs, they still are, are treated as felons, and they should be. People who are selling drugs, people who are distributing drugs, that's a real problem. But the end user, I think we're slowly recognizing, and our courts have done a good job of this, uh, is a person that needs help and, and should get that help to avoid getting into more serious problems. And and I think you're right. And I've seen your guys' court work. I had a uh, pseudo stepdaughter of a gal I was engaged to who uh, had problems with alcohol. Her mother was an alcoholic. I think she inherited part of the gene. I've seen that gene. Yeah. Um, I've seen I've seen the real difference, especially living in Vegas, what people who uh, either abuse things or um, or have a little too much fun with them. You might say I did that sometimes <laughs> with <Sure>. vodka. <laughs> um, we'd, we'd be lying if we said <clears throat> none of us had ever done that. There you go. So, uh, and I, I, and I can honestly tell you, I have done just embarrassing, stupid stuff, you know, dance on tables, that sort of thing, uh, with booze, uh, put a lampshade on your head, put a lampshade on my head. It's a wonder I'm not wearing one now. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But I've done some stupid stuff and marijuana doesn't make you want to do anything. You don't even want to drive on marijuana. You're just like, I'm just going to sit here and all the pain goes away and flows over your body. But uh, anyway, back to my uh, pseudo uh, uh, gal. So she struggled with alcohol because she had the gene. And uh, and the the alcohol court, the drug court that you guys set up, really helped her get through it. She fell down a few times. But, you know, throwing people in jail and throwing away the key, you know, we found more and more studies, Bolivia, Canada, different things that they find where we don't imprison these people. What a lot of people really need to realize, too, about drug addiction and abuse on, on the, on the high end of scale. 
Um, you know, they're recreational users, but on the high end of scale, on, on, and I'm just talking, well, I'm, actually for this, I'm talking about all drugs. Um, a lot of that stems from sexual abuse. There's something sure. tragic that happened to those people as children. And what they're doing is they're using those drugs to numb the pain, to numb the, the, the demons that stalk them, that come from that. Um, a lot of people, if you look at people that are in, or are in rehab and stuff like that, they have sexual abuse backgrounds. And this was stuff that was done to them as children that they didn't, they didn't have any choice. It was just, it was uh, perpetrated by adults and, and they're turning to those addictions and stuff to drown out the pain. And, and how do you, how do you hate a person like that? How do you yeah. prosecute a person like that? How do you say you're a felon when you realize, and we do, we realize these people got involved with drugs for reasons that we as society completely neglected. Yeah. So even, even if it is the more serious drugs, even, even if we do want to continue to criminalize a lot of these drugs, and I, and I support that, we need to recognize you're, you're a genius. I mean, I wish I'd have met you. Before. I don't know about that. But, <laughs> but, but you know, the, the, the fact that these people are medicating themselves, they're, they're doing something to, like you said, ease the pain, to make the pain go away. And, and so we're, we're making them felons. We're making them go to jail because they were easing the pain. They didn't hurt anybody. And, and uh, I, I think we're slowly recognizing that in this country. We're even more slowly recognizing that in this state. But, but that's, that may be the future of our courts. And it may be the future of our criminal justice system mm-hmm. to get away from just punishing everybody and, yeah. and recognizing uh, that some people need help. Yeah. Um, our prisons are full of mentally ill people and uh, the sex offender unit out at the prison, while it should have, uh, it should be uh, well full, I guess, with a lot of people. But if you asked most of the sex offenders out there, they would tell you that they too were victims once. Yeah. And uh, you know, somehow we got to stop that cycle. Same with yeah. drug abuse. Well, we're not the- fixing the, we're not fixing the original problem. Right. And so I believe, and I'm going from memory, I'm trying to pull this up on the web on the side, but it's not coming out for me, but I believe 90% of people that are in rehab that have high addiction, recidiv- recidivation rates, uh, recidivate rates, um, what are, I can't get the word right. Uh, I believe 90% <laughs> of them, Art and recidivism are from. This is why I'm not an attorney. I should have been. I would. <laughs> I, I would be if I could go back to college. I would be. I love the law. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, but the reason those people, I think the rate is like about ninety percent were had sexual assaults as a child. So if we throw them in jail or penalize them, once they get out, they go back to their drugs because they're still trying to fix that problem. And a lot of them, there's a lot of shame that goes behind it. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to acknowledge it. And, um, you know, and so they drink it away or they take whatever. I know Utah at one time was kind of funny for a lot of years. I don't know if it's still true, but you guys were like the driest state when it came to alcohol consumption. You guys were the number one prescription drug abuse state. Both of those are still true. Both of those are absolutely true. Wow. Number 50 in, in alcohol consumption and number one in opioid abuse. Yeah. Opioids really took a toll on a lot of states. Right. And that, that may not be a coincidence necessarily because of what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, It's been a real problem, but you know, we, we, we don't recognize it the way we should because we, we think, well, if a person legally came into possession of their Percocet or whatever, and they just happen to abuse it. So what? Well, it's the same as as somebody illegally coming into possession of heroin and getting behind the wheel of a car and hurting someone or mm-hmm. doing something horrible. I mean, you, you've got to look at the end result. If a person it, it abuses a drug, legal or not, and causes harm to another, they should be punished equally, no matter what the drug is. And I, I don't know if this is an aspect, but they say one of the issues as to why that differential is there from other states where you guys have number one prescription abuse is because prescription abuse, you know, there's a lot of Mormons here, respectfully. Uh, and in the, I guess in the uh, Joseph Smith, when he wrote the Doctrine and Covenants, I think, and, you know, he said, don't do alcohol, don't drink coffee and other things like that, uh, you know, which is a probably a good idea. They had alcoholics back then, uh, but prescription drugs weren't around then. So he didn't say, well, prescription drugs are bad. And even when I was a teenager, my mom was uh, holding some different things because they were finding that the kids were basically stealing the drugs 
the prescription drugs that have been, you know, legally given to, you know, a parent or a child for whatever. And uh, I even had friends in high school. They're like, what do your parents have in their prescription, you know, thing? You know, mom and dad, they don't pay attention. That stuff's been sitting around forever. And um, that's one of the ways that, you know, the prescription drugs get put around. Um, so, you know, we need to, we need to fix these things. And I, I'm not sure that people losing their jobs and, you know, us going through this horrible epidemic where people that you know around you are going to die and you're going to be depressed from that. I think there's going to be a lot of depression from, you know, everything that's been going on with COVID-19. Uh, and I think it's going to amplify some of these things. So we're going to need candidates like yourself that understand the issues that are out there, that know how to deal with them, that want to legislate for the betterment of the community and just don't want to throw everybody in jail <laughs> take away people's health care. That's just crazy to me in the pandemic. Like I, I was at least thinking, well, the GOP will at least be like, yeah, we should probably dial that back because of the whole pandemic thing. <laughs> no, no, it's just, it's just like how, how the party of painful, how, how, how bad can we make it? But right. uh, hopefully flip this change. Any other uh, things that you hope to achieve in office or agenda items that you're kind of, kind of uh, pet projects maybe you want to take and do? You know, um, I do think these uh, specialty courts that we've talked about a little bit, Chris, for example, the drug court, um, we've started some things in Utah called veterans courts. Uh, We have something uh, that's sort of up and coming called mental health court. Um, We had some jurisdictions were starting the DUI drunk driving court. You know, the specialty courts, I think, are a wave of the future. We've been sort of pulling them slowly into our criminal justice system here in Utah, but somewhat grudgingly recognizing that they're useful. I I would like to expand that. And and it's been hard in Utah because we're such a rural state. I mean, certainly along the Wasatch Front, you can have a judge who's dedicated to drug court and you can have probation officers who just work with drug court professionals and you can have a prosecutor who's assigned to all that. But you go to a rural county and they've only got one judge or two prosecutors or three probation officers, and they can't just say you are the drug court person. So um, we we have to consider um, sort of districting a little bit and setting up drug courts, regional drug courts, regional veterans courts and and regional mental health courts and some of these things so that more people throughout the entire state can get these services. You know, the, the attorney general is the attorney for the state and all these county attorneys and district attorneys have their own little fiefdoms, if you will, and they they got their deal going. And I think that the attorney general can sit back and say, "Look, you guys, uh, you're you're do, you're running great in Salt Lake, but we're we're behind in another county, and I won't mention any names. Uh, and we need to do something about that. We need to we need to consider how we're going to set up some specialty courts in your county, and we can provide those services. So so sort of recognizing that we're a state and not just a bunch of counties with completely different. Uh, ideas and jurisdictions and venues and whatnot, um, I, I think could go a long way. And we just haven't done that in this state. And, and our attorney general is largely absent anyway. He's back in D.C. doing whatever he needs to do. But somebody just needs to stay here, say, I'm the attorney for the people of Utah, and that's what we need to do. We talked about those initiatives, those ballot initiatives. The voters voted for it. Let's, mm-hmm. let's, let's do it. Let's put it in place. Let's do what we need to do. Um, and... Um, you know, we haven't talked about it too much, but the the whole concept of uh, some of these, uh, like this banjo situation. <laughs> I mean, I, mean, I, mean. It, I looked at that in February before I even filed. And my wife and I sat down and said, this is surveillance. This is something that no individual who respects the Constitution of the United States, who understands the Fourth Amendment, the government's intrusion into unlawful search and seizure would ever approve of. And in fact, most law enforcement agencies that looked at this have said, there's no way we're going to do that. Mm. And so then our attorney general does some sweetheart sole source contract, no bid contract with a former KKK member and (laughs) signs a $22 million contract to set up this surveillance system, which of course we now recognize was flawed, which we now recognize was maybe not even legit from the beginning and we're trying to get out of it, but who knows how much we've already spent. Yeah. 
And the no big, the no bid contract, the dirty deal behind the scene that no one knew about. I work in the tech business and and been following tech all my life. We've spoken out a lot about what's going on in China. The it's basically 1984 Orwellian, you know, monitoring Big Brother, and China set up this uh, social net where I mean, if you're if you're deemed by your behaviors, by what you buy, like even if you buy a lot of alcohol, like they go, okay, that guy has an alcohol problem. You, you're, you're, it's like your FICO score with your, for your loans, <laughs> it's right. your social score and it goes down. And if you know, you've seen protesting or other things like that, they limit your ability to travel. They limit, right. your, limit your ability to buy things or go anywhere. They basically close down your life and you don't have any sort of, I, to my knowledge, there's no way to appeal it in any way, shape or form. There's one part of their uh, state and I, I want to say Wuhan, but uh, there's one part of their uh, state where they're repressing a ton of people in basically what are internment camps. Um, and, uh, I can't remember the name of the city that's over there. But then we recently, you know, we've talked about this in technology. We're like, we really need to legislate this because somebody's going to go too far. There was a company back east that got busted. They they did some they did some dirty deals with police stations and they scraped literally they scraped one of the most giant databases. I'm surprised Facebook and Twitter hasn't sued them yet. Maybe they're in talks about that. But they only scraped all the images, the facial images off of the social networks. And then they built this database and they've been selling it very quietly and privately. They have a hidden website. I mean, it's just dark stuff. And uh, so we saw that. And then that got called out uh, by some really great reporting. And and a lot of the police departments went, Oh, our bad. And you're just like, you guys shouldn't be doing that in the first place. Um, And it, it was effective at catching criminals that they hadn't done, but, you know, I, I think if we're giving away our privacy, we need to at least have a discussion on that instead of, you know, what Edward Snowden brought out as a thing. And then the banjo thing was just as bad. And, and they just found a state like Utah to do it in and do this back door. And you're just like, I believe if I understand correctly, it's been a while since I've read it. They were giving the private company access to all the government cameras and stuff so they could just yeah. scrape all that data. They were getting ready to set that up. And, you know, I support law enforcement Mm -hmm. uh, use of search warrants. When I was at the district attorney's office, I I used to write a search warrant every week for eight years for some law enforcement agency. And I get a call in the middle of the night and and, and we have the fourth amendment to the constitution, which was brilliant, brilliantly drafted, but it talks about fairness and it talks about due process and it talks about probable cause and it talks about the balance between the right of the government to know and the right of the people to be free. I mean, I, I don't have any right, nor does the local law enforcement, to know what you've got in your medicine cabinet right now. You know what I mean? Unless unless you're doing something so illegal that that a police officer can get a warrant to look at that. Mm-hmm. Because we don't want we don't want to be like China. We don't want the government to know everything we're buying, everything we're consuming. That that's that's not America. And um, we're, when we start engaging in, with enterprises like this banjo, we are letting the government and private sector, for that matter, look at us in a way they've never looked at us before. And, and I think Utahns don't want that. I know nationally people don't want that, but Utahns are pretty, pretty protective of their privacy, very protective yeah. of their privacy. I was surprised and, they weren't up in arms about it. Yeah. Like I, I was just like I sent it to all my family. I'm like, holy crap! What are you guys doing up there? You guys are turning to China, and right. and the aspect of what you bring about with the rule of law and uh, you know being able to go to judges that go, okay, why do you want this warrant? Those are important because it comes down to who's watching the watchers, right? And where this data was just being given to a private corporation, and right. no one's really watching them. Like, what are they doing with their data? They could be selling it to China. They could, they could be doing anything with it. And right. uh, as we found out, you know, I, I don't want to speak to what kind of people they become, but they didn't start out very good. Or they were, I think they, they were doing graffiti on Jewish temples or synagogues um, yeah. and hate symbols and things like that. And I'm not sure if you're still in that sort of mindset where, hey, let's build a company that spies on people. You're still kind <laughs> of uh, not sure we've crossed into the high integrity right. model. I'm, right. not, I'm not judging. I'm just theorizing in my opinion. Um, 
did I get the, did I cover the whole attorney disclosure thing? Um, <laughs> I think so. You're great. Yeah. But the company that got busted back East, I can't remember the name of them, but they got busted back East. They were clearly, even, even when I think the New York times caught them or Washington post caught them, they were hiding. Like it was nothing. I mean, you went to their website, it was like blank. Uh, they had uh, deceptive names of the corporation. It took a lot of digging for for them to find these guys and they bury themselves on purpose and when you're operating with that sort of uh lack of transparency and the government's doing business with you it's like hello so i'd love to see those uh i know i probably uh, have gone along here uh there's one thing i do want to ask you about really quick because one of the facebook groups that we're in is the utah democratic caucus for people with disabilities i have two sisters here which is one of the reasons i I come back and forth from here in Las Vegas uh, who are in care centers. They are disabled. Um, uh, so they wanted me to ask what you guys' thoughts are on uh, dis- people with disabilities, ADA, et cetera, et cetera. I know that Utah was recently sued over, uh, they just never really enacted a lot of ADA things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that law from 20 years ago or something. You're just like, seriously? So uh, any the way we do that? things in Utah, you know, the national government passes something and they, and Utah's like, we'll get around to it. And the, and the only way you can get them to come around to it is to withhold federal funding. You can say, okay, we're not going to, we're not going to fund your, your, your Medicaid this year. Oh, oh, well, we'll better take care of the old people. You know, we have a, a pretty good uh, disability law center here in Utah. Um, and we, we have provided for better, attorney uh, treat, treatment and better attorney provision, if you will. People are allowed to have an attorney and to handle some of those issues that they haven't been able to deal with before. Um, I think that we're going to have more courts that recognize people with physical and mental disabilities that might, might need services that we've, that we've previously outlawed. We've talked about medical cannabis, for example. Um, so, you know, that's something that's important to me. And I think it's something that our, our Republican legislature is going to be very slow to, to look at because they're looking at it as a social program and as a meta, as a expensive program, but it's not, I mean, we need to take care of, of groups who are taking care of us. I mean, we've seen from this virus, uh, these, uh, these homes and centers where the elderly are being, uh, watched and cared for, and suddenly they're like hot spots for virus, and those are those are groups that are in terrible jeopardy. Um, we just we just need to do a better job of taking care of our vulnerable population, our people with disabilities in this state. And this is what I love about Democrats. I used to be a Republican back in the day in the nineties. Uh, I voted for George Bush in his first term. I didn't like how he handled the war and the whole Dick Cheney stuff of basically making himself president and uh, stuff. Uh, and nine uh, eleven happened, and then I uh, slowly just my values. I realized there was something more in the world. I need to care about other people. There, you know, my attitude prior to that was just like, I got mine, you can get yours. I grew up poor, I got rich, and and. Then I realized there were people that had disadvantages, that had disabilities, that had things that happened that were catastrophic in their life, that maybe they didn't grow up and and have the same sort of, uh, you know, uh, luck that I had or whatever. And that I really needed to know more about what was going on in my world. And so I didn't really flip to becoming a Democrat. I just kind of stayed in the middle. But more and more, I just re- I realized the party represented my values. And honestly, if a, if a Donald Trump ever emerged, uh, and, and I see Donald Trump, not as a party person. I see him just as a horrible individual and human being. I've actually known people like Donald Trump. Um, they're pathological liars and just everything. I mean, it's a, it's a, um, malignant narcissism is a thing. Um, and I've known of a couple, unfortunately. So I just look at yeah. him and I go, yeah. wow. You absolutely get it. You, yeah. you get, you articulate it as bad as well as I've ever heard. Thank you. Well, which is pretty good because I'm not that articulate, but, but, you know, thank you. Uh, but if he emerged as the head of the democratic party in the ticket, I would vote for the lesser of two evils. Um, and I'm not saying the GOP is evil. I mean, I wasn't that excited to vote for Hillary Clinton. I went through the nineties with the Clintons. Um, but I had to look at the two and go, what's better for America. And we need to get away from these teams sort of things. I mean, I just vote Democrat because 
I don't know, it just, it's become Trump's party. And so everything is that toxicity of, of that man. And, you know, I, if I had kids, I would, I would like every day would be like, this is not how you act. This is the example of what not to become in your life. <laughs> this, <laughs> we just turn on CNN and be like, see what he's doing right there. Do not grow up to be like this person. And I think most, most, I think most Utahns are good people. They're certainly religious people on a large scale. They believe in, uh, you know, all, all the good, uh, you know, the Bible and religion, the Book of Mormon, I guess, um, and, 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 and Jesus and, and being good human beings. And so I think, I think uh, come November 2020, hopefully they're going to look at what's on the docket. They're going to get to know all the candidates, and hopefully they'll make some good choices and balance it out. Uh, let's, let's help get the state maybe more purple, get some people who care about human beings, the community, because we're going to need it. I mean, a lot of people don't realize you mentioned the bankruptcy court earlier. Uh, I went through the 2008 um, crash uh, in Vegas I, on my street. Every fourth home would be occupied. The rest had been abandoned because people had been foreclosed upon or kicked out or filed bankruptcy. Um, you would hear, I would go out at night and I would hear the chirping of the fire alarms that were going off because the batteries hadn't been changed. Yeah. Uh, and I went through the desolation. I saw the drug issues that came from it. There was a lot of people who turned to hard drugs because they, you know, hit rock bottom and, uh, it was ugly. And I think we're going to go through that or, uh, I don't know if we'll have, uh, this state should do it much better than Vegas will. Cause we have higher employment there, especially now, but it, it's going to be hard in mental health, drug use, uh, crime. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of divorces. I know every one of my friends is married. They're all their wives are like, we're divorcing after this. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But uh, I'm not sure. They told me that. I'm just like, wow, I don't know. But, yeah. you know, after everyone's been trapped in a home, and, and, of course, domestic violence is another big issue, child abuse. We've seen a rise of that come from this COVID-19. So we're going to need more people to care about uh, stuff. Uh, before we go, anything else you want to plug, uh, Greg, before we uh, or talk about? No, I want to thank you, Chris, for having me on your show today. I, I just would say this, that I, I have no greater political ambition. I'm not going to run for governor. I'm not going to run for senator. Uh, I'm not going to make this a three or four or five term position. If I'm attorney general for two terms, I'm going to ride off into the sunset, the happiest guy in the world. So um, I, I just hope that Utahns will recognize that it's maybe time for a little balance in this state. And yeah. I think I've that. Change is good. Change is good. Yeah. Get into the 20th century, Utah. 21st century, excuse me. Wow, that tells you where I'm at. I'm old. <laughs> anyway, guys, uh, give us your website one more time, Greg, and give, give us an idea of how some people can help you, either through donations or volunteering or some sort of support they can help out with. Yeah, so, so we're at www.scortus, and that's S-K-O-R-D-A-S for F-O-R-A-G. So scortusforag.com. Uh, if you go on there, we have uh, volunteer links. Our, our staff is pretty busy. We're trying to get people all over the state now. Uh, we just put down dough for a zillion lawn signs, which I hate, but I guess they're part of the, <laughs> part of the medicine you have to take. It's that and, name recognition, uh, yeah. Yeah, we're rolling forward. And thank you for your time, though. This this was huge. Your your, your podcast is very well received, and uh, I appreciate this opportunity. Well, thank you. I'm gonna I'm gonna cut a few pieces where you said I was like super articulate, and I'm gonna like, <laughs> put that everywhere. And anytime somebody on Twitter goes, "You're an idiot," I'm gonna be like, "I had an attorney say that." No, anyway, yeah. if I get a signed letter too for that, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I have an attorney letter that says I'm smart. Oh, uh, you're really smart. Which, yeah. No, anybody who knows me is never going to believe. They're going to be, how much did you pay him? I'm just kidding. So anyway, it's been wonderful to have you on, Greg. Uh, Go to his website, check him out. I really implore everyone, no matter what side you're on, it's not about teams. This is about America. This is about Utah. It's not about teams. It's not about parties. Get people that are good for your party. Research who's going on. Uh, This is going to get really deep over the next two years. The Bank of America CEO says we may not have a recovery till 2022. Uh, Utah, while it seems to be a little insulated because of its ruralness, has a lot of uh, national companies here, multinational companies here. The layoffs are going to come from those big companies. We've already seen uh, layoffs coming from, uh, what is it, Uber and other places. And we're going to see a lot of fallout from that over the next two years. Uh, and it may get darker before it gets brighter. And uh, so spend some time, look at your background.
ballots, get your ballots early, research your people, support them, put those lawn signs out, maybe hold Zoom meetings, uh, hook up Zoom meetings with everyone. Everyone's doing these Zoom meetings. Oh, one plug I, I would have for you, uh, since a lot of models are changing for Zoom stuff, and you guys have had to do that nationwide in the courts and and stuff where you've had to, I mean, even the Supreme Court's basically holding Zoom meetings now. Right. Um, maybe that would be a good way to get the whole state in on the drug court or the mental health court. And yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I'll, I'll leave that to you because you're the, you're the guy who's going to have, has to enact that or, you know, delve into it. Um, so anyway, I appreciate my honest for tuning in. Be sure to go to the resistance uh, radio.com or go to, <laughs> I almost forgot the name of the show, thecvpn.com or chrisvosspodcastnetwork.com. You can subscribe to all the shows. And, of course, you may be seeing this on chrisvosspodcast.com or thechrisvosshow.com. Go there. There's like 500 bloody episodes. You can learn so much stuff. You're, you'll probably have to go have surgery to have your cranium made larger because you'll be smarter. <laughs> there you go. Um, and uh, go to youtube.com for just Chris Voss. Hit that bell notification. Watch all the great videos. Thanks to my guests for being here, Greg, and uh, also my audience, and we'll see you next time. Thank you, Chris.